step back and ask myself the question, do I believe that the current system is actually serving children and do I want my children to go through that system? And categorically, the answer was no. If you want me to paint a picture, I think the current system is set up right now to push kids through a sausage machine, a factory, a conveyor belt, whatever you want to call it, of conforming to a set of rules, a set of standards, a set of examination standards that are forcing them down a path. Hello, this is Dr. Rowe and you're listening to the Growth Tribes podcast with Dr. Rowe and Harms. This is the podcast where two completely different generations tackle the most challenging topics that people are facing today. Above all else, the main reason that we chose to develop and record these podcasts is because we both have a passion for helping people go through life transformation, for improving their lives, for taking their lives to a completely different level. And it's our hope, our genuine sincere hope, that by the end of each of these episodes, you'll have gained at least one insight that you can take away and apply directly into your own life practical tools, voices that come in from both generations, the younger generation with tips and tools and the older generation with a sense of wisdom and experience so that you can help unlock your true potential to give the opportunity to make changes both on a personal, professional, financial and relationship level and to give you a chance to impact both your lives and the lives of other people around you. So we welcome you. Welcome to the Growth Tribes podcast. Hello listeners, it's Harms here and welcome to another episode of the Growth Tribes podcast. And today's question is a slightly controversial one and we're going to touch upon a few things that may just challenge the way you believe the current education system to be operating. And the main question is, is the current education system preparing us for business and work success? But before we get into that, I just want to leave you with a quick short message from Dr. Rowe. Hello and greetings, it's Dr. Rowe here. Now before we start the podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me on an incredible three-day event called Communicating with Impact. If you're wondering who this might be for, probably the best way to describe it is to ask you the question, are you a parent wanting to communicate more effectively with your children? Do you run a business and you want to attract more money into your business, more clients, increase your sales in your business? It might be that you're in a career and you want to climb the corporate ladder, be more effective as a communicator, get to senior levels, be able to ask for pay rises. It might be that you want to be a professional speaker, want to increase your skills on a stage, or possibly you're a coach. You might run a network marketing business and you want to attract more people into your business. You actually may be a property investor wanting to attract more money from angel investors. In fact, if you're listening to this right now and you have any desire to improve your relationships with people on an intimate level, personal level, professional level, or you want to simply increase your business, your turnover and your ability to impact people more effectively, then I do encourage you to join me because I've spent 30 years in front of hundreds of thousands of people and I've developed a system of 38 components which anyone can operate with, anyone can apply no matter what your background. It is a passionate, inspirational, motivational and information packed event where you learn how to engage people, how to grab their attention, how to get a message across quickly in any situation, whether it's one person or 10,000 people. So what do you do next? Go to www.drrow.tv forward slash CWI. Go have a look at the booking page there. Find out more about it and then get yourself registered and come and join myself and Harminder at the next CWI event. Dr. Rowe signing out.
So we are talking education system and is it preparing us for business and work success? And I haven't prepared Ro at all with this. I've got a few questions I want to ask him because he's now been in business for a long time. He's also been in a career which took him to the heights of in terms of knowledge and education, including acquiring a PhD. So you've also got kids as well, Ro, which, you know, I'm yet to experience. But I'm also just come out the education system, gone into work quite recently compared to you know, when you would have gone into work, be sharing some of those elements as well. But Ro, let's open the conversation and say, what is the current educational landscape out there? And what's your thoughts on it? <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is a real hot topic. Yeah. And yeah, thanks for bringing it up. I think it's a good subject to raise. And I want to caveat what we're about to say, to share with you, these are our opinions. And in no way, shape or form, either myself or Haminda trying to say to you, change what you're doing or don't do what you're doing, etc. What I would suggest is listen to what we're saying. Everybody has different sets of beliefs. And it might be that in what we both say, some of what we say, you go, oh, my gosh, that's so true. And other stuff you say, oh, that's bullshit. Dr. O, don't agree with that, you know, X, Y and Z. And that's fine. Every single human being has the right to have their own beliefs. However, that said, I feel very strongly about this subject. So if at times I get a little bit overexcited or I go into a rant, Harminder's going to try and rein me in because you're absolutely right, Harms. I have come through two different paths over my life. And the first one was the conventional path. The second one was a less conventional path. So we'll come back to that. Maybe you can just prompt me on that on, on a bit of history there. But if yeah. you, you've asked me the question, what is the current landscape? I personally, I've got two children, one who's five as I'm recording this, the other one who's 11. Neither of them go through a conventional schooling system. And, and if you want to ask me about that, you can. But what I've made a decision to do some years ago is step back and ask myself the question, do I believe that the current system is actually serving children? And do I want my children to go through that system? And categorically, the answer was no. If you want me to paint a picture, I think the current system is set up right now to push kids through a sausage machine, a factory, a conveyor belt, whatever you want to call it, of conforming to a set of rules, a set of standards, a set of examination standards that are forcing them down a path to go into a career. That's typically what the education system was set up from the start. It was a way of bringing people from lower class to try and, I mean, if you go all the way back, the middle class and the upper class had the ability to get education. It wasn't really broadly available to the overall community. And so the schooling system, as it slowly crept in, gave people from a working class background the opportunity to get at least a fundamental level of education. That then tiered into college, polytechnic and university. And of course, the aspirant people would go to Harvard or Cambridge in this country, Oxford, etc. And Everybody aspired to be at the top level, but not everyone could get there. So conveniently, then this structure evolved, which allowed people to go to, quote unquote, different levels of university and then below that polytechnics and then below that colleges. And it was the classic indoctrination. It was the classic programming that if you get yourself a good education, that will set you apart from the mass of the population. And I can't remember the exact statistics, but when I grew up, I was told, you know, you're in the top 1% or less if you get a university degree, PhD, probably in the less than a quarter of a percent of the population. So the idea was you created an elitism or you created a separation from yourself to other people by getting this education. 
And it's got to a point now where parents are competing against each other, where kids are being pushed into this factory of taking tests now at a young age, four or five years of age, being taken down curriculum at such a young age that they don't even know what that curriculum is leading them to. They just know that they have to do math, they have to do history, they have to do geography, they have to do languages, and not just have to do them, but to do them on a standard of taking exams, passing exams. The pressure on that, which is not natural for a young human being, is immense. Hence, we're seeing increases in self-harming, increases in attempted suicides, increases in actual suicides, stress levels in kids. I think one or one in four, one in five young ladies, for example, are self-harming with a lot of pressure going on now on them. And ultimately, we're now seeing, and I'm sure you've got some statistics you're going to throw at us at some point, but you've got now people coming through university and still not getting their jobs. So the system that I grew up with is not the same system as today. The pressure was there before, but it was more aspirant, whereas now it's more like I have to do this. And it's an immense pressure. And we'll come to back to this in a minute. I'm seeing a lot of teachers in my seminars, my self-education seminars, wealth, personal development, communication. These are people that are coming through, they're bringing their kids through and they're saying, I want my kids to go on a different journey. And I see more and more parents disillusioned, frustrated, pissed off. There's four or 500 kids that go to the school my daughters go to. And these are some fairly influential parents who themselves are so unhappy with the education system. I think you've been to the school, so you've seen it. But And they have come out of London. They've come out of different parts of the country and different parts of the world. And they're bringing their kids to the school because they want a different form of education because they don't agree with conformity because that's what I believe is going on. What we're doing is we're killing creativity and we're introducing and have been for a long time. I know I'm going on a bit here, but the concept of conformity, in other words, if you conform to this system, if you take these exams and you pass these exams, you'll be an A, B or C or a D, you'll fit into this category and get this job and then you get a mortgage and you get a job for life. Bullshit. No such thing anymore. I'm going to stop there. That's a great introduction. <laughs> okay, so I think the listeners at home understand where your stance is on the current education system now <laughs> with that introduction. And I've been doing a bit of research and also from a gut feeling and having supported you on these self-development, personal development seminars, mm. workshops, and I get to see all of the people coming through. And ultimately, the reason they're there is because they have almost been failed by that initial education system start. What I feel is happening now is that you enter school and you're learning simply just how to get a job. And with that job, it allows you to survive. So that's essentially what you're being taught. Rather than understand and be taught certain things that allow you to grab the opportunities that are out there. So it's one side is you've been taught how to survive. That's just by getting a job pretty quickly. What's the first job I can get outside of education? And then the second side is having left education with an open mind, feeling like you can see opportunities all around you and then grab them when they're there. And I think listening to what you said, Ro, is the curriculum, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, but the curriculum has probably not changed with the pace of technological shifts, career shifts, globalization, different emerging markets. And my personal feeling is what we got taught in school, and I think they're still being taught this, you can correct me if I'm wrong, with the counterintuitive school that your kids go to, but they are just being filled, and like you said, tested and tested and tested with lots of knowledge. And on paper, it looks like we're all getting smarter, but I guess in reality, the question is, are we actually getting smarter? Because from the people mm. we see coming into 
the workshops and the, and the seminars and the programs, they're all looking for another form of education which will help them get that work and business success. Would you agree with some of those? Yeah, this, this is a good point, actually. And, you know, I think we, we need to keep pressing the button from your mindset coming from millennials perspective as well. So let me just try and pick up a couple of the points there. So I think there's a cracking point is that the system is focusing on academic achievement. That's mm-hmm. what I'm seeing, even the school that my daughters go to. And I don't want to go, I'm not here to promote a specific form of education. So bearing in mind, this has got global reach. I'm mindful of saying something that may, people might go, oh, we're going to do that because Dr. Rowe does that. What I want to just say is that, for example, the school where my two daughters go, they are even now being subject to, in the United Kingdom, Ofsted saying, well, you're not so conventional. So we need you to at least show X, Y and Z. We need to show this and this in the way the kids are being taught. So everybody is being forced into a process which is all about academic development, not emotional development. And I think you've picked up on a good point. We're seeing people coming through at the moment who themselves have got degrees or got university studies or or got done through colleges. But as people, they seem, I don't want to use the word dysfunctional because it's probably not correct, but they seem out of balance. There's parts of their makeup as people that is lacking. Would you agree with that from what you've seen? Yeah, I would say it's the classic case of somebody who's extremely academic, extremely knowledgeable. You ask them a question and they're going to come back to you with a fact, a a statistic. But then on the other side is a person who's like, actually, I'm just going to Google those facts. And I'll get into this in a moment. I'm going to Google those facts. But they are just rounded in regards to the skills they have the emotional development, the maturity, the way they handle problems and the way they handle stress. And they are just, they just seem to have all of this in place. And when you have a conversation with them, you start to work out, actually, they broke out of the conventional education system or they did something slightly different in terms of their upbringing or in terms of what they've done after education, which has allowed them to become that person versus the person who walks into the workplace and says, hey, look at me, I've just got my degree. I'm really intelligent. I've remembered loads of things. And then they get handed a project and then the stress and the overwhelm starts to fit in. And I think those are the two sides of the equation that we're seeing. And the memory, you just picked up on memory there. That's a very good point that the concept of being able to remember things is not the same as being able to understand its meaning in your world and how to use it. And I know there'll be people listening to saying, oh, yeah, but I'm a teacher or my kids go to a school where they think differently and they act differently. And absolutely, there are definitely changes happening without a doubt. Those changes, I feel, are happening within the schools from certain individuals who themselves are emotionally developed. They've become more mindful. Mindfulness is a growing philosophy at the moment, which has always been there, but it's more at the forefront now with apps and social media and all these things. So I personally see the change happening because of people who are emotionally developed, teachers, people heading up schools, and they want to introduce that into the schools. But unfortunately, it's a minority. It's not an overall global philosophy. The global philosophy is conformity. If we can get everybody to follow a certain set of rules, take a certain set of tests and measure them against those tests, at least we can tell if they're good, bad or or crap you know, or, or excellent. So there's all this measure of people without saying, well, hold on a minute. How do those people perform under stress? What would they like be running a business? What if we gave them entrepreneurial opportunities? What about their creativity? And we have learned that if you feel the same way, Harms, but... Well, well, here's a statistic support what you're saying and and challenge 
those teachers who feel like no what you're saying is completely incorrect well so here's a statistic and it's come from i've got a whole bunch of statistics to share in this episode just when they become relevant because i want to do some bit of research mm. prior to this so a statistic is yeah, jump so as while, i'm talking just jump in because I, I haven't got sight of these statistics great so while 41 percent of teachers cited the ability to retain information as a key skill currently being prioritized in schools so that's teachers are saying 41 percent of teachers are saying that the ability to retain information is the key skill currently being prioritized in schools across the uk and this is a uk statistic just six percent of those people that pool of people surveyed felt it would be important for students in the future so what they're saying is schools are prioritizing or they feel schools are prioritizing the ability to retain information that's the number one priority and that's clear in terms of the way people are tested and the way that a grade is dependent on your you know how much you remember whereas just six percent of the pool felt it would be important for students in the future now that's an internal conflict there within teachers of the schooling system and 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 i think that supports exactly what you're saying there six percent feel knowledge Acquiring knowledge, remembering knowledge, passing tests would be important later in students' life. And I think for everybody listening, you probably know that the stuff you learn in geography, history, certain sciences, certain things just are just not applicable to you whatsoever. And it can be quite frustrating, though, because me as a millennial in this amazing world where we've got a greater life expectancy and we've got a great medical things around us and all this information at our fingertips to have spent 18 19 years in a conventional education system is pretty frustrating i felt like there's a large chunk of that that could have been used elsewhere more wisely i mean this conversation could go in so many directions and as you're talking my brain is trying to rein myself in because i'm yeah. asking myself the question what about the other 94 percent of teachers if you're standing there in front of a group of kids and you don't believe that information ultimately is going to be important to the students in the future, that has to send out unconsciously the wrong message to the kids. Now, that's mm. not to say the teachers are doing it deliberately, but your passion towards something that you believe is really valuable is very different to when you're doing something that you feel they have to do because, well, we need to get you through this. You know, the conversation's happening already at our school. And, I, and again, this is why I'm mindful about talking about it too much, but there are teachers including my daughter's teacher saying, you know, it's important that you guys do this level of maths or whatever, because we're being asked to do this now. And that isn't really the way that it should come across in this community. Parents and teachers need to come together, I feel, and talk about what is great for the kids, what the kids want to do. You know, we're picking projects that have to be done in in accordance with a, a strict curriculum. Well, what if the child wants to study this or wants to go and study this? I was with a friend of mine who's got a 14-year-old son. He's a property investor. He also trades the stock market. And he was saying, you know, my son said, Dad, we've got to do work experience coming up and we're supposed to go into a company and see what sort of jobs we want to go into. And his 14-year-old son said to him, I don't want to do that, Dad. I want to come and spend my week with you looking at how you do property, how you trade the stock market, because that's what I want to do. So he's mm. got to go back and get permission now from the school. Can I go do it with my dad, who's an entrepreneur and financially independent, as opposed to going into a job? It's going to be really interesting to see what the school's reaction to that is. And I had the same conversation with my daughter. You know, she's I was saying, did you know you could make money by just looking at patterns and seeing the way charts move and and how patterns occur? And she's like, how do you do that, daddy? And I said, I'll explain it to you, uh, you know, soon. And that stuff that 
fascinates kids. And when there's a fascination in something, then there's a much greater percentage chance that that child will actually study it, learn it and absorb it. But when they're pushed on things that they don't necessarily feel they have to do, but are told you have to do this in order to get your exams, what message are we telling our kids? It's a very, yeah, it's a very different driving force. You know, you're driven by pain or you're pulled by pleasure. You're inspired or you are forced to do things. So it's almost like the kids are conforming to what the teachers are saying. The teachers are conforming to what the principal is saying. The principal is conforming to what certain bodies, I imagine in the government, education bodies are conforming to. Now, how are they making their decision? I think that's an interesting one. But what I find interesting, though, is you have a PhD and this is your opinion at the moment. So I don't know if you want to explore that because you're somebody who's come through this and I don't know if it was different in your time or how you feel about that because you must get challenged on that. Well, you're you're talking about wealth education. You're talking about creating supplement income. You're talking about doing something that you're passionate about. But you spent all this time getting a PhD. What are you talking about? Yeah, Yeah. and it's a very good point because I'm talking from somebody who's 54 with kids and I don't have a job. Whereas back in the early days, young Asian lad. In my profession, very few people with any ethnicity, colour at the top of their field. The ones that were, were nearly all highly academically qualified with a PhD. And I didn't do that well in my first couple of years at university. Or let me rephrase it, I did enough to get by. I partied. I don't think you're alone there. I (laughs) I partied, I climbed a lot. I did a lot of walking and climbing. I went out and travelled. I like ladies, so yeah, yeah, I like the opposite sex. So I you know, go and date and all that stuff that you do at that young age. And that was, I was in that zone. And I didn't really have a lot of value on the education. I knew I wanted to do civil engineering because it was going to get me out. It's going to get me traveling. And I, I thought, well, if I'm a civil engineer, I can do, go and be involved in projects all over the world. And I think I've mentioned this previously, but my, if you like, a mentor at that time was a gentleman who's a good friend of mine still. He's about four years older than me. And he originally from a West Indian background, said to me, wrote, you know, you have to stand out. And the way you stand out at the moment in our profession is you just can't be average. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, you're going to have to stand out by your qualifications. Your personality alone won't get you there. So I said, okay. He says, you can stick your head down, stop messing around. Your father's not around. I'm going to kick your ass. And he literally kicked my ass all the way through it. And he said, get the qualifications. So at least on paper, no one can argue with that. When you go for a job interview, they can't argue with the fact you've proved yourself. Now, that was my philosophy. And the PhD was kind of the way of putting myself into a pinnacle where it wasn't even about me having a PhD. It was about being able to prove that no matter what background I came from, I had the ability to focus, get the results I needed to get and stand out. And it would open up doors for me in my career. That's why I did it. It was purely career focused. So having gone that route, equally parallel to that from about 21 onwards thinking well how can I start a business I started looking at network marketing I started looking at somebody helped me set up a jewelry but I should go I used to go around to houses even wives of teachers or lecturers or people in the community and I would go and try and sell jewelry <laughs> can you believe this it was like I'd have this box like a suitcase with different jewelry and it was I mean I, I tried I just tried stuff mm. whilst I was studying so The academic side of me was there purely to give me an edge in my profession. But you don't need that now if you want an edge to be financially free. Don't get me wrong. If somebody's listening to this and you've got your kids studying and they want to be a doctor, they want to be a lawyer, they want to be a PhD or a specialist in engineering or or, whatever field, they are going to need that 
educational process yeah. to be able to go and do research or to go into a university or to go into a specialist field. My feeling is, though, Harms, is that the children need to be encouraged to have a passion towards it rather than a case of you have to do this if you want to get results that you need to get into a job or whatever. I think it's just the way we're driving our kids is giving a, a negative association or not the right type of attractive force to those studies. And I'm seeing that in my own daughter at the moment. I'm actually witnessing her resist. She's asking questions. Why do I need to learn this, Daddy? Why are we studying this particular subject? I'm not, I'm not, I'm interested in this, not this. Can't I study this instead? And I'm thinking, she's right. I, I agree with that. Because that brings me on to the question, what does this lead to? Because we're talking about work and business success and potentially the current system hindering that. Because you just said, look, you tried stuff. And actually, that's quite uncommon in people because the result of university is to pass the exam and get your grades, which will lead to the particular job or give you the result that you want. But what was different in yourself then when you're saying, no, I was trying stuff because I'm not too dissimilar to yourself. Mm. But the difference I had is slightly different alternate career route, whereas I started with an apprenticeship. And one of the things I will never forget where they created a very, I think is a fantastic kind of educational ecosystem where they allowed you, they simulated lots of different experiences to allow you to try different things and start to build a skill set around that. So let me share one of those examples. So on a, we used to be on a naval base for, for about three years. I don't think you're aware of this, but one of the things, one of the experiences they put you in, in order to round off these other fantastic skills, which they realized as an employer that the school did not teach us. So it was on them to help encourage these kind of skills so just imagine the scenario where you and it's as probably me and about seven eight other guys and in my group there's no females but also in that engineering field there's not that many females but at the time it was me and seven eight other guys and we get put into a submarine simulator now this is actual submarine it's a real life submarine you actually walk into it then they switch off the lights and they start flickering the lights and they say the simulation has now started, the doors are locked, and the submarine starts to shake and starts to fill up with water. And as a team, you've got to get out of there. And there's very little preparation time. It's all about being in that experience at that moment in time. And the reflection on that was phenomenal, just the kind of skills that you nurture. But that does not exist in school. That existed in companies having to and almost businesses having to create these environments so that the skills that weren't taught in school are now encouraged but when you learn this and i don't know if you think i was watching a fantastic netflix documentary on babies actually just last night when you learn these skills younger in life they really embody themselves when you're an adult whereas trying to learn these as an adult is a way more challenging experience, especially if you're not in a place where you're constantly learning, which many of the Growth Tribes members are. You know, they're constantly putting themselves in a place of learning. But if you're not, it becomes extremely challenging. Would you agree with that, Ro, having kids? Yeah, I mean, you're right as well, because I think what we've set up in the Growth Tribes is an environment to take ourselves back to that youthful spirit of learning. And that's a good way of languaging it, actually. It's, mm -hmm. it's the spirit of learning. It's that desire to learn. And it is I personally think that it's built into our genetics as human beings when we're growing, where we're absorbing and our cells, our neural cells and our neural networks are being formed all the time. They are as we get older, but it changes. And you, I know you put me onto a book last year about sleep, which is phenomenal. And it talks about 
the fact that actually as we get older, whilst we're sleeping, the conversation that happens between one part of our brain and another part of our brain changes. So having the right sleep sends short-term memory to our long-term memory. And our kids are very active at a young age. And that desire to learn is built into us. The problem I have with it is that it's dull to some extent, even now. And it's not challenging. It doesn't stimulate kids. So kids lose that passion to want to learn. Whereas if it's embedded early, like imagine if you'd had that experience a lot earlier, you'd have mm. always been excited by the idea of practical, hands-on, real type of learning. I mean, when my daughter goes, they, they grow, there's a two and a half to three acre biodynamic allotment there. So the kids get to grow the vegetables and then they see the vegetables blooming and then they get to, with hands-on, pull the vegetables out the ground, clean them down, and they work out what the weight is. They then work out what they could be sold for to the local organic shops, and they see the revenue generated from that. So it's a practical experience of money and growth and harvesting. And then what do we do with the money? Do we allocate some of it to charity as opposed to just a theoretical exercise that you're doing in a classroom? The two are very distinctly different, which is what happened to you there, what you've described there. And this is what creates what we call significant emotional events. And they can be positive or negative. So the learning process can be done the same way. Most people that I deal with have had negative, significant emotional events, mm. abuse, parents losing, you know, going through divorce, financial distress, you know, father or mother going bankrupt or whatever, creating a, a significant emotional event, which then creates a learning experience, an unconscious learning experience. But imagine if the schools could somehow introduce positive, significant emotional events, things that on a monthly basis, they do something large or powerful that they remember and they go back and they anchor back to it. Like you said, you still go you back to that experience. It's not happening. And why? Because the timetable's tight. This is an issue that I've even got with my daughter's school is that now we've got these new introduction of Ofsted requirements, et cetera, it's coming in at a higher level. When do the kids get to breathe out? What about the lunch breaks? Lunch breaks get squeezed in a lot of schools because I don't, they run over a little bit but you've still got to get the new lesson after lunch. So lunch, instead of it being half an hour, becomes 20 minutes. They don't get to breathe, relax, eat their food properly. And then they stay later after school because of something that's happened. And before you know it, the kids are doing what I believe to be the same as a working adult's day. By the time they've left home, got to school and got back, you could be talking about eight till four o'clock. That's a long day for a young child. That's a long day. And, for, and for the teacher. So the statistic yeah. though is... 77% of this pool of teachers that were surveyed found that they are not, and this is 77%, now this is an extremely high percentage, found that they are not able to do their best work due to the time and resource constraints. Oh and that just bang on, you know, your, your story and that statistic just popped out of the page at me. And So these are the teachers now? These are the teachers saying right. they can't do their best work because of the time and resource restraint. So put resource yeah. aside because we know not every school is resourced equally, rightly or wrongly. It's just one of the things that has to be worked on. But the time constraints, now that's challenging to deal with because like you said, they shouldn't be having a full day's work experience every single day. Well, that, that's the problem we've got is we are conditioning our kids. And again, remember, these are all beliefs, but I'm seeing it. So what I observe, I think I told you this when you came to visit us recently, is that a lot of the parents that bring their kids to the school that my children go to is because they are frustrated with the conventional system where the kids themselves are not just in an intensive long day at school, but then there's activities after school where parents are saying, oh, hold on, my kid's doing 
two music lessons. They're going to a gymnastics class. They're also going to an acting class and a singing class. And then little Johnny says, but so-and-so is doing four or five classes a week, mummy. And then the parents say, oh, my gosh, right, we need to get you to that. There's an unconscious competitiveness that happens with the parents. <laughs> so now you've got your kids out for a whole day and of course that's kind of convenient if you're in a job because now you don't have to have somebody to look after them because they're going to be with another class but they're exhausted harms they're genuinely exhausted and that also worries me is that children need the natural time to so there's a philosophy of breathing in and breathing out breathing in is when you're you know you're studying you're learning and you're academically processing and then there's that meditative which we know is really powerful breathing out and that needs to happen but what if a child is full on till five o'clock they get home and now they've got to do some homework. Mum and dad comes back. They're busy. Got to prepare food. When does a child just get a chance to just breathe out? And if they don't breathe out, the stress builds up. And it's built up over years. And then you get these highly stressed or edgy kids. By the time they get to teenage, that stress is now focused on getting results. And boom, we start to see kids popping. Stress levels, taking drugs, drinking, yeah. dysfunctional, escaping. And where do they escape? Where can I escape to? Where people are chatting I'm not getting judged and I can have fun and it just happens to be on my phone. Aha! Instagram, Facebook, social media, whatever it is now, there's different ones. Yeah. So kids are escaping into that world. It's the one place they can be themselves without the pressure of all these things from education. And, and you know that world. <laughs> and I know that world. But what the question I have now is what does that lead to? So when the child or when the person or whether the adult comes out of ed- the educational system, you know, imagine what happens to the person mentally, psychologically when they leave school and, and I've, and, you know, it's an and dot, 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 because the system right now is they're not getting the jobs they want. No one is grading them on a day-to-day performance when they hit the workplace or the business place. And I know from a business perspective, on a daily basis or even on a quarterly basis, there's no one to give you a grade A for how well you performed in your business that quarter. Parents are happy that they've got through education and are now just leaving them to themselves. Fantastic. You've got the engineering job. You've got that accountancy job. Great. So there's no longer a family push anymore. And what I loved in school was my social circles, my friends, and I'm still friends with many of them, amazing people. But when you leave that in the workplace, in the day-to-day, but there's very little play social circles, which you, you do get to experience in school. So it's almost like getting... You leave that system and you just get punched in the face. What does that lead to? And one statistic I want to start you off row with mm. is 90% of UK workers that participated in this particular study felt stressed in their current jobs, with more than half of those people describing themselves at work stressed most of the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the reasons for that is excessive workload. But the one I underlined was overemphasis on results. So workplaces and businesses have overemphasis on results, growth, achievement, and that is standing out. So the stress thing is is a big one. But I wanted to expand so, that. So your thoughts. Let's just jump on that. So ninety percent. Yeah. Ninety percent. And you got to bear in mind as you're saying this, and I, I'm just in my mind, I'm picturing this circle. The circle represents twenty four hours in a day. So a human being is spending eight to 10 hours in that environment where they are actually feeling some form of stress. Now, if you're listening to this, you go, well, I'm not in that category. I don't feel that stressed. If you can hand on heart, tell me that you're going to work, you feel relaxed, calm. You feel almost in a Nirvana type environment. And when you leave work, you feel fuller as a human being. You feel you've contributed to the world in a better way. You feel actually that the world has 
somehow financially paid you back and also spiritually paid you back through the work you're doing and that you go back to your family as a better person, nourished, calmer, you walk through the door at the end of the day and you are overflowing with abundance of love and you don't have any drained energy at all. In fact, if anything, you feel fuller and you're able to be present with your kids and there's no residual stress from work coming in at all. You're able to spend time with your kids, eat with them, celebrate the food, maybe even prepare it with your own hands, then relax with your children, allow them to go to sleep, be present with your partner, connect with them, kiss, make love, feel relaxed, and go to bed feeling completely relaxed. Well done. Because <laughs> I don't see that. And I get in front of hundreds of thousands of people every year. And I know I'm genuinely not trying to take the piss. I'm saying, surely that would be for the average person on a daily basis, the most amazing experience. And you can achieve that, not every single day, but you can achieve that if you shift from an environment or a job or a career where you feel you have to do it. The problem is, Harms, that a lot of that stress is because people are there and they feel they have to do it to pay the bills. Mm, and whenever I've felt that level of frustration, and this is in business as well, is when I've committed to something that further down the line I've felt less comfortable with or I've got to a point where I've committed to it but I don't want to do this anymore but I've honored I put my word against it I need to see this through and the minute that happens and you've seen this in me because we've had this conversation a few times that's when I go ah I'm feeling frustrated I don't want to be doing this and that's when you have to question it now there's a great quote from and I can't remember the exact wording of it but from Steve Jobs and he said whenever I wake up in the morning and I I start to ask the question do I want to do this today for too many days in a row, something has to change. And that's been his whole philosophy before he passed away. Is, do I want to do this today? Yes. Apple, do I want to do this today? Yes. Do I want to do this today? Yes. And the minute he doesn't want to do this, something has to change. And I think that's a great way to look at things. And if you say, yeah, but you don't understand, I've got to pay the bills. There you go. There's that 90% that Harminder's talking about. Because now you're at the workplace, not because you love it, you're passionate and it fulfills you. It's because actually you've got to you've got to pay the bills. And I'm not trying to be rude because I've been there. But it is a conversation you need to have with yourself. And I, and I know today is a bit more freestyle. But do you understand what I'm trying to get across, Harms? It's, it's not about the work you do. It's about the purpose that it fulfills in your life. And that purpose, Ro, I think it, what is not taught in schools is imagine that was a slogan for every teacher and saying everything we're learning in class today is to get you as a student, as a person, as a human being closer to whatever that is for yeah. you and your world. But instead, the focus is on let's get you 90 plus score in this 90 out of 100 test. And let's, the closer you get to 100, you're going to get a pat on the back. Whereas that's the goal. That's the end game. The end game is to get a grade in order to get you a job. Now, once you're in that job, what goals are left? And, you know, you walk into most corporations or you walk into a business, a corporation's got hundreds of thousands of employees in. So you're just a number in that place. Then if you look at a business, especially if you're a startup, there's like maybe three or four of you. So there's only a small group of you. So there's some contrasting things happening here. And, and certainly for the property investors listening at home, you know, there's just you, maybe a business partner, and you're off on the road building a property company, whatever that is in terms of your structure. Now, that is different results compared to what you just described there, Ro. The purpose, the passion, that nirvana feeling. And I agree, it doesn't happen every day, but it can happen often, more often than not, if it's in your 
consciousness uh, and the problem and is I, we've not been taught that yeah. i think that's a good point it's not and i've described it and people are, well, sure do you have that every single day wrote no i don't but what i'm able to do is create that environment to such an extent that it's a majority of the time i've got kids if i go and do an event and it's a tough event and i come back and the audience have been difficult to work with i'm bringing that with me so i have to be grateful for the experience i grow from it and i know that i'm doing because i choose to do it but i can't allow that residual to come into the household and this is the separation because i don't have to do it it's a very different feeling but when i was in a job and i didn't like it i didn't know where to go i read a happiness study about 10 years ago at the back end of the last recession there was a lady that was going around the whole of america and she said the majority of people are and you just said it here are incredibly unhappy in their jobs not because necessarily the job they might enjoy a lot of what they do in the job but it's the fact they don't feel they have enough choice they can't leave the recession meant that people couldn't leave to go to another job and that sense of not having any choice made them more unhappy in their workplace whereas when they had more choice prior to the recession they could live with the fact they weren't fully enjoying their work because they always had a choice an option to go mm. find another job and that's what's happening at the moment is the current economic climate is making it more difficult. People climbing the career ladder are getting frustrated because they realize they can't just jump ship to another company. Graduates are pissed off because they can't get into the careers they want to get into. And that's leading to high levels of stress and unhappiness, which is a major study in its own right. There's a whole global study on the levels of happiness going on right now. It has been for about the last five to ten years. Absolutely. And we see that, you know, we see that when people turn up to the workshops, the wealth education yeah. workshops and that is the main driver. You know, I want to change and I just don't know how. Can you please teach me the tools and techniques how, which we happily do. But on that note, well, I want to refocus us because I want to focus on the education system not supporting work and business success. Yeah, good. So why does, you know, the current education system just not work for business success, work success, career success, you know, and even life, I guess, to a greater extent, even life in general, later down the line you know to listen to what are you seeing with your audiences what are you seeing with your clients what are you seeing with growth tribes members when they come to us what is it not setting us up for i'm going to keep coming back to it and you've heard me say it a lot in the past it is the difference between conformity and creativity so great study done and if anybody gets a chance, go and listen to this. There's, a, there's an 11 minute YouTube video and it's a handscribed video. So if you go and look up Ken Robinson, RSA, just put RSA and then I think it's education. We might be able to find the link and put it here at the back we'll end. Put of it, the, we'll put it in the show notes. Absolutely. And essentially it's part of a TED talk. But he talked about the fact that when kids were asked at a young age, there's a famous study, and I think it was to do with paperclip from memory. You know, what creative things can you do with a paperclip? And prior to kids really going into the education system this is young kids three four five six seven years of age paperclip this is it what could you do with it and they come up with all these incredible ways and there's like over 150 200 different ways of using a paperclip they then went back to the same kids having been in the education system for about 10 years and asked them the same question and it dramatically reduced down to double digits ways to use a paperclip and you know he clearly said that the studies are showing that our children have lost the ability to be creative by the time they get to the 18 to 25 year old stage because they've been put down a narrow form of education it's a conforming system business doesn't yield to conformity 
business yields to creativity. You know, the world will bend around somebody that's creative, but it will smash somebody over who's conforming. The likes of Richard Branson, people like Anthony Robbins has been in business for many years, the, uh, Alan Sugar, who many of you have watched on UK television. These guys are constantly coming up with creative ways to overcome the challenges in the world. And business is all about that. It's about solutions. If you look up the word entrepreneur, I think it means to solve solutions in French. So what I believe has happened is that as young people coming through the education system now, as you discovered, unless you've got something else happening in the background, in my case, reading personal development and reading early books my audiences and your audiences that you've met with me now as we've gone through together coming through the doors the ones that are seem to be different have read broadly in the field of personal development another word for that would be self-education is, is a great mm. term that's coming yep, up self-education self so what they're doing is they're saying i want to read broadly in the field of personal growth and business to give myself different options because previously I was just following a set of rules. The problem with only ever baking a cake with one recipe is you don't add another ingredient. What if you just tweak this? What if you change the sugar out for a non-sugar alternative? What if you added honey instead of white processed sugar? Oh my God, it tastes different. That's the same thing with life. So that's one of the reasons I think is conformity versus creativity. I think the other thing is that fear, conformity leads to fear because when people are told, if you don't pass these exams, you will fail. We have now bred a whole generation or multiple generations of kids that are of the belief. And I say kids, people are meeting at 30, 40 years of age now, that if I try to do something and it doesn't work, by default, I have failed. Whereas you and I don't look at it like that. We see failure as an opportunity to growth. Now, we don't say that we have to keep failing, but what we say is, right, okay, we're going to try this. And if it doesn't work, we test it. Same thing with social media, as you were telling me earlier on. We test for a period and then we get some feedback and we change the strategy. We have to get young people accepting. I'm, I'm having the same thing with my daughter at the moment is it's okay to try something. If it doesn't work, it's not classified as a failure. You're going to grow through it. And unless we teach that early and we teach children that success is broad it doesn't have to be one specific area then they're only ever going to gravitate back to study take exams conform fit into a certain category get a job and then stay there that doesn't work anymore the world's changing we need free thinking we need collaborative thinking not conformity we need creativity we need people that want to expand not contract and we want people that are actually open to emotional development not academic development and those five things alone if we can start to nurture that we're going to have a whole new breed of young people coming through and i don't think we're doing it right now that's my personal belief i agree i don't think we are doing it as well so you've almost answered one of the questions pretty much that i was going to ask a bit later which was what skills should we be developing in order to prepared for business success and work success so you started to hit a few points but we'll come on that moment because you said something fascinating which is you know the fear of failure and when we've asked your audiences and different sort of rooms all over the UK when we say to them what are you currently afraid of and fear of failure is almost the first one always. that everybody unanimously agrees with and it's it's mind-boggling because this is people who have just come out of school people who are in their 30s 40s 50s 60s everybody seems to be afraid of failure and it's got to be because of the school system I don't know where else it has come from it's I, I totally agree Added to that, the parents that are saying, I don't want you to fail. Your grades were too low. 
and they're comparing them against other people. That's the other thing that I'm seeing as well in schools is this whole, why should a six or seven year old be even fucking concerned about what they did in a test versus another five or six year old? Shouldn't they be out playing, exploring the world, studying and looking at nature, looking at what a bee, you don't see a bee sat at a flower saying, hey, hold on a minute, you just picked up three more bee pollens than I did. Shit, I need to get back in there. You know, you, you don't see animals naturally doing that. It's only human beings that compete consciously against each other. Absolutely. And there's a fantastic book I read recently, which I recommended to you, Ro, it's called Range. So R-A-N-G-E. Yes. And, I'll, and I'll put that into the show notes as well. And, you know, some of the most famous names in the world history and to date and i'll pop those names onto the show notes as well so it's a, a bit of incentive for you to go check out the show notes because these people we idolize we look as heroes these people in their childhood row is it's been documented it's, they've gone back in history and worked out what they did they did a range of things based on whatever their curiosity led them towards and as they started to progress they naturally found a thing they were massively passionate about which then had a massive influential impact on the world in a positive way and that is complete opposite to the current education system and that book is a bit of a window and a bit of a counter argument to parents who are saying get the a's get the a's get a better grade get a better grade look at that person they got a better grade so i think that book's a fantastic counter argument and also supports exactly what we're saying in this podcast because it's there you know, you have to only look at the most historical, famous people, and they've tried everything. I was only watching a YouTube video the other day on Ricky Gervais, a fantastic comedian, very insightful, does great docu-series, great stand-up, very controversial in nature as well. Mm, mm. And as he, he went from job to job, he was trying this and that. Comedy was a certain thing in his family. He was never brought up as a comedian. And then at the age of 35, 50 he struck gold in regards to his creation the office and that was and that's a nice example for any creators out there which are currently feeling a bit stuck in a box with the current school system so you know this this almost warrants another whole podcast and you're picking up on some fantastic subjects so one of the things that i discovered more recently and it was a combination of reading and there's a great documentary i think i might have watched it on netflix to do a genius and the concept of genius and the mind of, of geniuses and inventors is that what they have now categorically shown is that the more you narrow down the mind and the experience of the human being at an early age the neural pathways for that child or that human being get narrowed because the only way to be creative and uh, i think it was called creative genius and the only way to be creative the only way to come to something in the life and to come up with different alternatives in business and you know the question is how do we teach our kids the system currently serving children or, or is the education system preparing kids for business and work success the answer i believe is no is because we are creating conformity the problem with conformity is if you narrow down the experience of the child the young person the human being what you do is you don't create enough neural pathways, neural associations for us to be able to come up with an idea. There, I don't honestly believe there is any such thing anymore as a new invention. When I wrote my book Turning Point and when I went on stage and you see me say this, I say, look, everything I'm going to talk about, I haven't come up with this. I haven't developed this. This is, this is a combination of my own experiences worked around other things that I've learned from some great people, some great speakers, some great mentors. Because the world now has just got all these different experiences. But sometimes one idea coupled with another creates a different outcome. It might feel different, 
but it's really a combination of things that we've experienced in the past. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. So the study showed was that children, young people that have a broader range of experiences, albeit some worked, some didn't, it created in the unconscious mind an experience that now becomes a learning that the cells at the brain level never forget. So now when you come to the table two or three years later and you come across a problem, it can call on this vast resource of experiences that you've had, some of which were great, some of which weren't so great, some were more emotional, some were more logical, and it has the ability to then create an answer. And this is where sleep comes in, which is another whole podcast for us to cover differently. And that is where I'm at at the moment. So we are of the opinion with our children that we want to give them a broader experience. We took them traveling last year for two or three months and we didn't just stay in one place. We went to lots of different places because that memory becomes something the children can remember. One little incident that happened, they can tag that to a new experience in the future. But if you think about it, we are narrowing our kids down into a channel which does not give them the same experience as another child that's going a lot broader. Now, of course, someone else is going to argue, yeah, but you can't be a jack of all trades, etc. Agreed. But if you get the foundations right, you can specialize further down the line. At the moment, the problem is what's happening with kids is they're not getting the colorful experience in life and the, and the different experiences. And remember, a child sat down studying for an hour on their own on one subject they're passionate about could be the equivalent of that same child spending three or four days in a classroom with 25 other kids, trying and having the parent manage the other kids as well as trying to teach the content. So that's the other thing I want to share with you, Harms, I believe, is that as parents we've got to be now thinking about what about concentrated periods of learning shorter yeah. shorter study periods in something they're passionate about and then go away and experience it go away and do it as opposed to four or five days of studying the same subject very broadly whilst the teacher is not teaching but having to manage a class as well as their time and all those things now i know it's a hot topic and someone could challenge me on this but all I want to do today is provoke thoughts for people to go away and question what they're doing at the moment, even how they're learning, let alone their kids. Yeah, and I've got a great example for that, Ro, which in regards to specialism regards okay. versus general. So I've been a big fan of skiing. So skied four or five years in a row and always went with the same group. Now, there was somebody in the group who missed two years. I think it was the four years in a row. He missed two years out of the four. Now, when he came back on the fourth year, he lagged behind now, he was quite intelligent. He's almost understood exactly what you said. He's a very entrepreneurial person in his spirit anyway. So he said, you know what, sod you guys, you know, I'm fed up with being wound up now. So he went and worked with somebody one-on-one -on -one intensively for two days. When he joined us back on day three, he just blitzed us. He just, what he learned in that intensive period literally just was a learning experience for the rest of the team there skiing thinking, actually, we we would probably need to disappear and work with that same intensive coach or mentor that he's worked with in regards to that ski instructor. So because he was so, he had the desire to just be great at skiing, almost catch up or whatever was going on in his mind. And he did it. He specialized. He did it intensively. He was passionate about learning it. And then he just did it and he came back and it was phenomenal. So that's a, that's a cool little example that I just recalled from the top of my memory, which we went through versus the whole general teaching you know there's like 10 15 of you in a class and that was quite a slow frustrating experience i can only imagine what the kids are going through right now 
And this is where self-education comes in, you know, to try and bring it back to the original question. I think where if anyone's listening to this and their kids are going through education and you've made a commitment to that, I understand, you know, you might be living there, your job and everything is now geographically based around there. Start to consider the future. And I think this is where I kind of want to steer our conversation now to what is the future for your children? What it's not about what we want our children to do, but what do we want our children to have the opportunity to experience is probably a better way to say it. Remember, language is so important with these conversations because I'll often hear people go, oh, I want my kids to do this. And I'm thinking, well, you know, it's your children's lives. It's not your lives. You're just trying to maybe pass on a set of beliefs that you want them to have because you didn't have that experience. So and that may not exist in the future, though, with well, technology, exactly. AI, robotics entire industries are being disrupted what yes. you think is a great industry for your child which you didn't get to be a part of is completely shifting so yes, yeah, I, I agree to add that in there and actually i think you saying that has prompted a word that's just jumped into my mind and it's worth everybody writing this down and, and even this is a conversation for another podcast is i think we need to prepare our children to be more robust and what i mean by that is robust in the sense that they have the ability to change and adapt around what is a massively changing workspace, work environment, economic environment, whatever you want to call it. And I don't think they are. I don't think our kids are being taught how to be robust enough, both emotionally. Academically is one thing, but emotional robustness is how to deal with rejection, how to deal with job change, how to deal, deal with your face with a situation where you suddenly can't do the same thing that you wanted to do. Because as you say, something, a robotic system or an automated system has taken over what you're doing. Now, one reaction is to be angry. And to be pissed off and to be frustrated because you spent your whole life studying that profession. But what if you learnt creativity along the way? And I think anyone listening to this should be considering what could I do to help my children learn something entrepreneurial alongside their study? So even my children, if they choose to go on and stay more conventional and, and maybe they want to take exams and do studies and let's say my daughter wants to go and be a vet or a doctor, that's fine. But I still want to give her a set of tools to enable her to have financial independence elsewhere. And that comes down to self-education in the world of wealth, you know, in the growth tribes, for example, as you know, in the vault, the growth tribes, what we've got there is a lot of personal development tools, but that includes money management, it includes time management, those sorts of skills. So these are all really important skills that people need to learn parallel to any academic qualifications that they're learning. And the question is, what? skills would you like your children to have in the future outside of a, that's the simplest way to do it imagine the qualifications are in one place but outside of that what are the other skills so i can give a few things which have been cited by experts as well in regards cool. to changing the education system and some of some fantastic multi-million copy books being sold and they're all now saying the same thing they agree with what we're saying in this podcast if you was to write these things down which is exactly what we're saying in parallel to the academics that they're doing, which, you know, if they do that, they have to do that. But these are the things to write down. So number one is collaboration. How easily adaptable can they work with and collaborate with other people in person, but also remotely? You know, I work personally with a team all across the globe, business partners, uh, employees, and we have to be able to collaborate. So that's probably number one. Uh, Ro, just jump in with any of these if you want to elaborate on yeah. any of these. So number two is critical thinking the ability to think critically and solve a problem which rose already mentioned for example when you're conforming as rose said you know you're following a step-by-step -step guide you know the, the school system said don't worry do this do this do this and then this is going to happen now i think Ro, where people get stressed and overwhelmed frustrated the feeling of depression mm. uh, and all these things that are coming up in the media right now is 
when there's a roadblock or there's something that's slightly different to what was supposed to happen, exactly, people shut down. It's like, yeah. whoa, that's not expected and I don't know how to deal with that. Yeah, so this has come back to this whole resilience. And I think if everyone can leave today with the idea of starting to introduce the concept of emotional development, emotional robustness in your children and the challenges as well, let's add another factor here. Social media can create an artificial world for our kids where mm. they believe that, oh, I can get to that lifestyle fairly easily. Well, it's like, you know, there's, there's these families that travel around the world and do these YouTube videos, which is great. And they have lots of followers, but the amount of work and physical time that goes into creating that is, a, as we know, is a lot harder than most people actually appreciate. So, so let me add getting... a few more to the list because that's a really good point. So a couple more to the list then is, compassion the idea of emotional maturity handling that creativity although you've mentioned that already resilience was one i've just added to the bottom of the list because that wasn't there but i think that is needed because when somebody says no when somebody rejects you you need that resilience when you feel like you're failing you need the resilience to get back up and well i love that example you said because there are families out there traveling the world creating a youtube video but if you looked at it objectively and you said if you looked at it with a bit of critical thinking you would see that these people are using collaborative expressions, working exactly. with a media team. They are critically thinking. They're constantly getting bombarded with social media messages. How do they adapt to that? They're solving a problem. And this is a big one. This is the final one on the checklist, which is they are communicating so, so effectively and magically across the globe. So the final one I want you guys to write down is communication. And I know, Rose, this is one of your areas of expertise. Yeah. What's well, your thoughts with communication in the school system right now? It's blocked because the parents are frustrated. They don't have a way to communicate. And when they do it, perceived to be them just complaining or frustrated, which they are. The teachers have got nowhere to go because if they talk to the parents and express their frustrations, then I'm a parent thinking, oh, shit, if this is what the parents think, if this is what the teacher's thinking, what do I do? And equally, if they complain upwards, they might lose their job and the government aren't going to listen. So there's this constant blockage of communication. Added to that, this natural fear of looking stupid or failing. People mm. don't communicate in a really open way because it might appear that even at a basic level, they're failing as a human being. And you've heard me say this a lot in the last year or two. And as the new book comes out, you're going to hear me talk about this as well, which is communication is the new currency. It's the way we exchange thoughts, passions, ideas, financial concepts, how we sell a product, how we sell ourselves. If we can't master that fundamental and communication happens at two levels, externally and internally. So the big passion for many years for me has been teaching people how to communicate internally with their values, their beliefs, their self-worth. And that is a massive subject. But more recently, over the last three or four or five years, has been now showing people how to take that communication from the internal world and express it externally. And I think that's where we need to help our kids is children, particularly around the teenage years, start to bottle stuff up. Something fundamentally has taught them that it's not okay or they feel uncomfortable expressing their feelings to the parent or the teacher. And you know why? Because they've been told if you do something that doesn't conform to the system, you're wrong. And they don't know where to go. So where do they escape? Back to social media again, where they can talk about all sorts of shit. So I know I sound like I'm having a whinge, but actually I genuinely feel that we do not value this subject enough. Yeah, yeah. We really don't. We put more value on money than communication, where ironically it's the other way around. Yeah. So Ro, final question before we wrap up this podcast, which is we focused on 
the children, the current education system, supporting the children with these amazing skills. Now, what if somebody said to you, and I've had this a few times, which is, okay, but I've gone through the education system. I am where I am now. I'm struggling in business. I'm struggling in my career. What is our final notes or piece of advice or where can we guide people and point them towards in regards to learning these skills now? We've sort of alluded to it, but I think we should just make it really clear and concise. And I also wanted to just briefly talk about the Growth Tribes Meetup, which is now open publicly as well. But I wanted you to lead on this. Yeah. Okay. So uh, to help answer that question, it would be worth just me quickly mapping out. And normally I talk about these seven stages of shifting that happens. And I don't know if I've talked to you about it. You might have heard me talk at different stages. So typically what happens is when somebody leaves, let's take, go back, let's rewind to a career. Somebody leaves 18, 19, 20, 25 years of age, depending if they went through a PhD or a degree or whatever. And they start with hope. So they go into a career with hope. That's what we all do. We start that career with the hope that it's going to be what we expected it to be. That's number one. Now, behind the hope, then, that comes number two, the excitement of starting that new career. I, I'm getting valued. I'm, I'm learning. I'm growing. And many of the six basic human needs that we have are fulfilled in that first phase of our growth in a career. So we've come through the education system and we are hoping and we're excited, number two, that what we've learned is going to actually play out in that career that we're in. Stage three is reality. (laughs) This this is now after six, 12 months, depending on how emotionally developed that person is or how accelerated they are in their their awareness of what's going on in their career and their world around them comes reality. I don't think I've ever showed you this map, but this is a map that I actually actually kind of evolved several years ago when I was coaching people. I was meeting so many fucking people that were, I was like, right, let me try and map this out. And I said, right, how did you start the journey? And they, so I kind of broke it down into these seven parts. Actually, we should, probably write about this maybe in in one of the material that we're creating so hope excitement reality now at that point there the reality typically leads to stage four which i noticed was frustration which is a good thing not a negative thing by the way so now they're frustrated that the hopes and excitement they had at the start aren't being fulfilled this is not how i expected it to be not earning enough money not getting the recognition i want not getting the job fulfillment it's not taking the path i want to get to And they will stay in that frustration sometimes for one or two or three or four or five years because they don't have an outlet. They are being paid just enough to keep them there or they're still listening to the parents, especially if you come from an Asian culture like you and me, or you must stay in the job. So the frustration carries on until it gets to five, which is pain. This is the pain point. This is where I've had fucking enough. I am absolutely done now. Now, in some cases, that could be 10, 15 years, could be the midlife crisis. In other people, like in your case, it could be just a couple of years. So every person's different depending on if they're starting to read and evolve outside of the workspace. So this is where the emotional development comes in. And that's stage five. Stage six now is the pain then leads to one of two things. And this is where it gets a bit more complicated. Either it leads to growth i.e. they're now reading and there's an evolution. They kind of break out of the shell and they're evolving or they break out of the chrysalis and they start to move from being a caterpillar into a butterfly, if you want a metaphor for it. Or they carry on conforming. And you've seen this because you left the workplace. you still got friends that are still there, Harms, after four or five, yeah. six years, correct? Yeah. And yet they had the same feeling. So they've, they're in a stage six at the moment. They are conforming. But some people start to go through breaking out of the chrysalis and starting to grow, which takes us to stage seven, which is change. And that's what you went through. And this is where cha- now change will happen through, fuck it, I'm going to go and get another job. And then they go into another job and they start back at one. <laughs> mm, <laughs> and they go through sense. the same process. now. But, but they've started now at one and they're 28 years of age, 32 years of age. Got a new job. Great. Same plan. Oh, excitement, reality. Da-da-da. Or 
they go through a massive change with what you did and they go and start a new career. In other words, they go into start a new business, they start trading the stock market, go into property. And that change leads to a whole different experience or what I call a turning point. So step seven is where I wrote my book, why I started. To, so if you wonder where the book came from, because I kept watching these seven steps, and I was like, shit, people need to have a tool for creating a turning point. So the book then took people through how to deal with that turning point, which is why it deals with language, beliefs, values, the rules around that, the environment, the purpose. There's the six steps. I'm going to pause because I could go into a whole bloody seminar on this. I don't think <laughs> I've ever shared that with no, you. Actually, that's that fantastic. So as you was doing, I was scribbling down notes because it's the first time I've heard you talk about that almost the growth phase of map. And I love the fact that, you know, at stage seven, you've got a choice. You either hmm. change and take a new plan up, learn something new or just adopt the same plan and then go through that process again. And I, and I imagine that's the same cycle. Somebody may be continuously conforming through their entire life. Yeah, and we we sort of see people come approach us at stage seven with a new plan, and then we support them through that turning point. This is, others, this is, others go off. Others go back and listen to a partner, and then carry on. They go and change their job. Now, that's not to say the second time round you're 35 years of age and you go back and you go to another career, and then you go back into hope. There's not, that's not to say it will repeat itself again if you've taken the wisdom of the first time round, the first step, seven steps, and then you go right. I'm more mindful of this next time round, but most people aren't they get waved a bigger flag you know more money new title better job and then they go back into it the excitement's there the problem is harms i'll be honest with you the stage let me think through my brain right the stage five or four four so probably. pain so frustration into yeah, pain that stage if they've now jumped ship and they're 30 years of age for example that three or four will last longer and you know why because they've got kids and because of the kids there's more risk of the security so they'll stay there longer just because until the kids get old enough and then I'll make my change. And then we meet them at 60 or 55 and they're like, fuck, I want to start a business now. Why don't you do it 20 years ago? Well, I had the kids. They've gone through two of these phases and now on the th third phase. Yeah. Oh, so I think if I was to just finalize that before we close out the podcast is if that has been fascinating to you, I would just really simply say for the first time we've opened up the Growth Tribes meet up to the public space as well. Normally it's private. It's a closed group environment only for the Growth Tribes members who have access to the vault and all these fantastic learnings. But we're opening up to the public because I think off the back of this podcast row, we've had more people message us. And I think this is now on people's awareness. So if you just head to growthtribes.com forward slash GT hyphen meetup, and I'll put the link in the show notes anyway so it's quite easily accessible to you there's a small ticket price come join us come join us on half a day and maybe this is something we can expand on on that meetup as well Ro. i think so we've got we you know we had youngsters there at the last event and that will happen more and more so we had an 11 year old a 13 year old we had parents asking you know how do i get my children into this environment so i agree with just off the back of that leaving today's podcast because we haven't necessarily given you an action plan i do think it's worth exploring after this, what are the alternatives for your kids? Can you put them onto some self learning programs? Could be, you know, online program that you buy, it could be coming to something like the Grow Tribes. Start them at least looking into it so that there's opportunities. I mean, I was, I think I told you, I was with a 19 year old lad who at 14 years of age after his father died, had a fascination with trading the stock market so he started to self-study his mum then paid for him to go on a stock market training 
three-day training, which then led to him having some private mentoring. He has never worked since he was 14 years of age, and he actually trades enough now to support his mum as well. And he left the education system. So there's so many different avenues now that our children... That, now, he might change 25. What if he decides he wants to go and be a doctor? He can. This is the beautiful thing about it. You know, mm. it's, it doesn't have to be a specific way. So just, I would say, leave today with some strong questions about what do you want for your kids in the future? What do you want them to experience rather than what you want the results them to have? And start to question and ask them what they want for themselves. And is the education system that your kids are in, if you fast forward three to five years, is it really where you want them to be? And if it's not, then big decisions have to be made. And certainly in the growth tribes, our get-togethers, our gatherings, it's a nice face-to-face -face environment for people to do that, as well as online with us inside of our community as well. Absolutely. So I think on that note, Ro, let's sign off. As always, everything we've spoken about today, which was a hot, hot topic, will be on the show notes at growthtribes.com forward slash podcast. And also don't forget Dr. Rowe's special communicating with impact training, plus this Growth Tribes meetup, which is happening in March. Just head over to the show notes and don't miss that because we only do it twice a year. And this is the first one open to the public. So this is myself and Rose signing off. We'll see you on the next episode. Hello, it's Dr. Rowe here. Harms and I would both like to personally thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Growth Tribes. And if you've gained just one insight, something positive that you're able to use on a personal level, on a professional level, to help your life, maybe even other people's lives, then we'd love it if you could take action on one of the following things. You can either simply subscribe so you don't miss out on any other great insights coming up in the future, you can share this podcast with close friends so they can also get the benefits of the tips and tools that we're sharing. Or it would be amazing if you could give us a review and let others know just how great this episode was. And finally, if you do have a question, don't forget to submit it on growthtribes.com forward slash podcast. Thank you again for listening. This is Dr. Rowan Harm signing out and we'll see you again on the next podcast.